Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And before we started recording this episode, we were just talking about yoga studios, mm-hmm. which ties in nicely with today's episode, which is, of course, about body odor and what body odor can tell us. Because I, I find that when I notice body odor, it's generally two different situations. One is I'm on the train, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of body odor going on, and it's generally an unpleasant situation because I realize I'm way too close to a lot of people, and some of them smell varying degrees of bad or rancid. And sometimes there's a, there's some spoiled pants in there as well, I'm sure. But there's also a body odor component to it. Whereas after a yoga class, a good yoga class, there's also a kind of a... Um, you know, a, a melange of body odors uh, in the air as mm-hmm. well. And I tend to like that because it's kind of a, kind of a, hey, we all just worked out kind of a smell. And generally, and maybe, maybe arguably the body odors, the individual body odors I'm picking up in that yoga class are simply better body odors. Is that possible? That, that these are healthy body odors that I'm picking oh. up on, and these on the train are unhealthy body odors? So in other words, on the train you get a cross-section of humanity. Right. And some of them, I'm sure, smell fabulous. Right. But then some uh, may be on death's door. Possibly. Possibly. But in a yoga class, for the most part, you probably have a lot of healthy people working out, and maybe that contributes to your sense that what you're smelling is quite good. Yeah. And I don't know, Lamb. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, there's some... Interesting uh, information that may support that, um, and we'll get into that. But before we do, we should probably just sort of review the fact that we all have this invisible cloak of odor on us at all times. And odor artist Cecil Tolas, who I think is just the greatest thing since sliced bread, says that we are carrying a database of smells around with us at all times, on our bodies, in our hair, and in our clothing and these culminate into a kind of autobiography of smell. Now, this is the smell artist, the uh, the, the German lady? Yes. Yes, yeah. Yes, the woman who has uh, collected 7,000 different smells. The woman who went to this highfalutin gala wearing like this crazy, gorgeous dress looking like Marilyn Monroe on steroids, but mm-hmm. then doused herself in uh, molecules of dog crap <laughs> just so that when she had interactions with people, she could, um, you know, both elicit their, um, their sort of like, uh, gross response, but also through our visual process, have people come to her. Right. And she was the lady that was on the panel we saw at World Science Festival uh, years back. Uh, and, and she, she was, the most interesting person on the panel uh, for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I, I always come back to is her argument that we don't give our children enough language to describe smell, that we have a very limited vocabulary, generally, gener- generally speaking, on an individual level and also mm-hmm. just linguistically as a whole when it comes to describing smells. So we end up saying, oh, well, that's stinky or, oh, that's that smells gross, when there's really... There's a lot more nuance in any given, uh, comparing any given smell to another. Right, because you always take issue with stinky cheese, yes. right? For yeah. you, it's not stinky. It's delightful blue cheese. Right, or at the very least, we should use a different term to describe cheese that is maybe a little too pungent for us, you know? Uh, and even pungent. Uh, I feel like pungent is a better word 
for the cheese. Yes. But it's not necessarily the best. I mean, uh, again, language kind of fails us at, 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 to a certain extent when we start trying to describe the, uh, the complexities of uh, the scent world that we live in. Well, it might fail us because you could make the case that humans really got the short end of the smelling stick. And if we don't have the full spectrum of smell smells available to us, then we might not have the full spectrum of language to describe them. This is a metaphorical smelling stick, not the the one that a uh, like a, a third grader might bring up to you and tell you to smell one end of it. As far as I know. Yes. And would you smell it? If no, they offered it? Absolutely no, not. Never smart. smell the smelling stick. No. So one of the examples of how we got the short end of the smelling stick is that no two people smell things the same way. Yeah, this is really fascinating because, I mean, it matches up perfectly with with experience because we're always encountering, you know, people who don't like a smell that we like, that we think of, we think a smell is too strong mm-hmm. and they love it. I mean, just think of individual perfume. You walk into a, a house and there'll be a particular odor that is, uh, it might be a, an incense, it might be some sort of a cleaning product, mm-hmm. and to our noses it's just too much, it's just too abrasive, but to the other person that's a pleasant smell to wrap your life in. Uh, and and indeed, when you start looking at uh, the genetics of the situation, um, it, it's, it's pretty startling. According to the Thousand Genomes Project, there are about 400 genes coding for uh, the receptors in our noses, mm-hmm. and there are more than 900,000 variations of those genes. So a given odor is going to activate um, a, a suite of different receptors in the mm-hmm. nose, creating a specific signal uh, for the brain, and that signal is going to, going to differ from individual to individual. Yeah, Hiroaki Matsunami at Duke School of Medicine and his colleagues found that between two people, about 30% of the odor receptors are different, and they think that's probably on the low end, actually. Hmm. Uh, bearing out this idea that you smell the smells you detect and the smell I detect could be very different. And so then that gives you this idea that we're not even all working off of the same page when it comes to smells. Right. It, it kind of gets down to that classic argument. You know, what if what if the color I see as orange and call orange actually looks very different to you? And that's generally generally a kind of abstract discussion to get into, because mm-hmm. how do you really break that down and, and prove it? But in this, we see uh, we see far more concrete evidence for the for the for the notion that, yes, each person me, you, the listener uh, out there right now, we're all living in slightly different sensory worlds. Uh, because, again, the world we live in is ultimately just this 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 picture of, of sight, sound, and smell that we form in our minds based on the information uh, feeding into our skulls through our, our, through our organs. And uh, the, the final product is, uh, is slightly different with each person. It's kind of like the whole uh, uh, you know, blind men in the elephant scenario. So, yes, of the sensory landscape, The human smell landscape is very different from person to person. In addition to that, the reason why bloodhounds may be much better at seeking out scents and identifying them is because in humans, we're a bit hamstrung. And Professor Doran Lancet of the Wiseman Institute's Molecular Genetics Department discovered that more than half of these genes in humans contain a mutation that prevents them from working properly. Yeah, these are the uh, the olfactory genes involved in the the recepting uh, these different smells. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that we would have these, but they'd be shut off. But there's another study that has come out that, that gives us a reason for why that may be. Yeah, this is a March 18th, 2003 uh, study from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Uh, 
they, the scientists looked at the the obvious question that arises from uh, from from uh, Doran Lancet's uh, uh, previous findings, and that is, uh, what, 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 what's the deal with this genetic loss? Uh, is it relatively old phenomenon that affects all primates, or did it only occur in humans? And they uh, they, they looked at they looked at the the data, and they were able to conclude that the drop in sharpness of spell is indeed a purely Homo sapien feature, uh, and it probably stems from the development of our brain. Uh, our brain ends up developing to depend more and more on visual data mm-hmm. uh, than it does on anything else. Where, when it comes to navigating the world around us, both the physical world and the social world, we're depending more on distinguishing colors uh, and the uh, you know remembering faces, etc., compared to simply going off on what does that person smell like. You know, not to be crass, but from an evolutionary perspective, the more bipedal mm-hmm. we got, the less we were on all fours. Yeah. The less we were on all fours, the less sort of sense we might be butting up against. Oh, well, yeah, I, I guess that would be a, a decent argument to make. Less less butt sm- sniffing, if you will. Gosh, can you imagine mass transit that that was not bipedal? Well, you know, you say that, but, you know, bear in mind that on any given train, some people are sitting down and some people are standing up. So there are a lot of people that end up with strangers' butts or groins, you know, just right there in front of mm. their faces. So we haven't managed to get away from it completely. In fact, uh, public transportation is, in a, in a way, kind of a return home, a return to form. Suddenly we are forced to... uh Maybe not actively, but passively, uh, you know, smell the uh, the rump and nether regions of the, uh, the stranger on the train. And those rumps, those nether regions are telling us something. And we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to find out what that is. All right, we're back. Before we start talking about humans smelling other humans, we got to talk about dogs smelling humans. I mean, and I'm not just talking about, like, you know, a dog bounding into the room and automatically attaching its nose to your crotch. Mm-hmm. I am talking about dogs that are actually ferreting out certain scents that might portend uh, your degree of health or illness. Yeah, obviously dogs live in a far richer uh, smell world than us poor humans. I mean, anyway, if you've ever owned a dog, you know that they basically just set around just going crazy with the smells in their uh, general vicinity. And if you get them in a car, I mean, that just must be like, uh, uh, you know, f- for, for a dog putting its his or her head out the window mm-hmm. and smelling, it must be like that scene in uh, in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where all the lights start flashing past uh, <laughs> past your eyes. You know, it just must, yeah. just must be a psychedelic experience for them. And so it, it shouldn't come as any surprise that dogs have been uh, been observed to detect certain cancers by smelling breath and urine samples. Uh, the latest research published in 2011 in the journal Gut showed a Labrador retriever trained in cancer scent detection uh, correctly identified 91% of breath samples and 97% of stool samples from patients with colon cancer. And, of course, that's because there are biochemical changes that would give a person a different scent, which would, we think, largely be undetectable by us humans. But there are a couple of studies out there that give us this idea that we might be picking up on things subconsciously. And I'm thinking about uh, this this one research project. This is from the Karolinska Institutet. And they wanted to see if humans could detect illness in one another through smell. They had eight healthy people who were injected with either lipopolysaccharide, a bacterial toxin that produces a really strong immune response, 
or just salt water, which doesn't have any sort of uh, immune response. And four hours later, just four hours later, the researchers cut out the sweaty pits of T-shirts the participants had been wearing and stuffed them into bottles. And, of course, you know what they did with those bottles. They inflicted them on uh, test subjects. Yes. Yeah. Forty university students had those bottles shoved up under their noses, and they had to smell these samples and rate the intensity, pleasantness, and the perceived health of the odor. And what were the results? Well, the researchers found that the, when the students identified uh, samples that were really intense mm-hmm. or unpleasant, it turned out that those were, in fact, the uh, the individuals who had uh, who had been injected uh, with the bacterial toxin. And moreover, the greater immune response to the toxin, the greater the unpleasant rating the sample received. Right. So, so what's happening here is that, in a sense, you're, you know, anytime there's an infection in your body, there is a battle in your body. Uh, you know, there, there are enemy troops on the field, so your immune, fu- immune function sends out troops to do battle with them. And mm-hmm. you end up with what, with, with what? A lot of dead soldiers on the field. And then those dead soldiers are flushed out of your body. This is a very simplistic, uh, explanation and a simplistic metaphor. But essentially, it's changing the recipe of your excretions. And then to, if you could actually pick up on the smell of the excretion, which, which this uh, particular study seems to show that we, we can, at least subconsciously, mm-hmm. pick up on those smells, then we are picking up on the dead from that battle over the infection. Right. There's, there's a real message that is being communicated there. And if you doubt that, think about this next study, which is all about STD and sweat. It's a Russian study from the 2011 issue of the Journal of Sexual Medicine. And again, it involves armpit sweat and the human smell response. We get uh, armpit sweat collected from 34 Russian men ages 17 to 25. Now, 13 of the men had gonorrhea, mm-hmm. 16 were healthy, and five had gonorrhea in the past, but were they had recovered. The men wore T-shirts with cotton pads in the armpits for one hour. Then the pads were placed in glass vials. 18 women sniffed the vials and rated the pleasantness of the smell on a 10-point scale. Now, they were um, given some words to pick out from a list to describe the aroma. So they had uh, putrid, floral, vegetative, woody, minty, Ah. and fruity as descriptors. The women rated the infected men's sweat as less than half as pleasant as a healthy man's sweat. And the women said about 50% of men who had gonorrhea had sweat that smelled putrid, whereas only 32% of the healthy men were described as putrid. And, of course, this all makes perfect sense, right? Because if, uh, if, if an STD or just a simple uh, you know, bacterial infection, you know, whatever the scenario, if some sort of, uh, of, of health situation causes yeah. your sweat to smell differently, then that is a cue to other members of your species that, hey, there's something wrong with this particular uh, individual, they might not be the best mate. They might even be an individual I need to distance myself from within the community uh, to avoid an infection myself. Yeah, I mean the message is disengage, disengage. Right. Yeah. Before it's too late. There's something off. This is a potential other, even within my own community. Yeah, and to underscore this idea, just to make sure that they had a little bit more data to press this up against, they found a link between the concentration of disease-fighting proteins, called antibodies, of course, mm-hmm. in the men's saliva, and how pleasant their sweat smell to women. The higher the antibody concentration, the lower the score. So again, we have that correlation there. Now, you think about this study and you think, well, is it possible that, you know, they, this, this wasn't a great representative of noses smelling this? I mean, they, after all, they were all women. 
Mm-hmm. It turns out that you would want a woman doing the armpit smelling, specifically a woman, because they may have better detection of smells. Exactly. Uh, according to uh, 2009 research from uh, the Monel Center, uh, it's, uh, it's more difficult to mask underarm odor when women are doing the smelling. Uh, and so n- not only are women better smellers than men, mm-hmm. but male odors were harder to block than female odors. Uh, so th- this this is interesting because it it g- gets back into the to the situation we all encounter when we're we're walking uh, through the the store and we're looking at the the various uh, underarm deodorants. Yeah, and we might it's easy to think, well, what's the difference? Well, what's the difference between the women's deodorant and the men's deodorant? Like it's we all have armpits. Why does it matter? Why does one smell? Stronger. Why does one uh, uh, need this fragrance and one needs the Some other? of it's cultural, right? Yeah, yeah, Power a lot of it's scent. cultural, for yeah. sure. Because otherwise we'd just all be using Axe and we'd call it a day, right? Well, yeah, except that um, a couple of things. One is that, again, guys cannot detect smells as readily as women can. Mm-hmm. And uh, to test this, they gave some of the women and some of the men pure underarm sweat and then some sweat that had been mixed with another scent. Mm-hmm. And here's what happened. When fragrance was introduced, only two of 32 scents successfully blocked underarm odor when women were doing the smelling. In contrast, 19 fragrances reduced the strength of underarm odor for men. Hmm. So it's not as readily apparent to men that, um, they're, you know, that some sweats might smell. In other words, the, d- the detection isn't there. And in addition to this, the actual male odors that are emitting these molecules are harder to block than female odors. Hmm. So there's there's a case there for a different kind of concentration, a different kind of smell in men's deodorants versus women's deodorants. Huh. Well, this this brings me back to the train again, where uh, any kind of public transportation system, you're going to have individuals what reaching up to grab onto a bar or a strap, uh-huh. exposing that armpit, perhaps to the face of other uh, uh, passengers on the train. And in that situation, you find individuals who are both tragically lacking in uh, in fragrances other than their own body odor, and then you have individuals who seem to be way overachieving uh, in, in terms of their, their, their personal perfume. Yeah, I worked at a place once where... Um the majority of people that worked there did not use deodorants and really didn't. Um, they felt like it was part of the expression of them themselves. Mm-hmm. And this uh, was a printing room. It was very hot. And it was just a swirl of fetid <laughs> armpit stink. But I wonder if, if this information, if this would mean that, uh, that females are then going to be more inclined to use an overabundance of deodorant or perfume. Since if they're going to be have a heightened sense of body odor, then it seems like they might be more inclined to overuse or at least use an amount well, of perfume that would be interpreted by us males as uh, too much perfume. If they better detected them, maybe they would avoid certain ones. Um, but there, I guess you could make the case that they could enjoy certain scents more, and therefore that's right. Use we have to more. go back to our original statement about how everyone's sense of smell is is, is slightly different. Everyone's right. sense world is a little bit different from the next, and that's probably why we're we're just constantly encountering people who are using too much perfume or not enough perfume, too much body uh, deodorant or not enough. It's because everyone is is. Everyone has the 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 knobs on their 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 stink speaker uh, yeah. <laughs> adjusted in a slightly different way. Now I'm not bringing up the pheromone angle here because this is different. Oh yeah, that's an that's a whole that's other, a whole other thing, fish, yeah. right? Which is pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. But 
if you think about it, you could take, say, Match.com and you could splice it with armpit samples to gauge a, someone's relative health. And you might be able to get a, a greater match here. Huh. And I was thinking about this because I was thinking about the hologenome theory that we've talked about before. Um, Eugene Rosenberg took some flies and uh, it was a single species of flies, and he cultivated them, two different groups on two different diets, brought them back together to try to find out if they mated, and they found that that bacteria in their guts changed the mating preferences of those flies. Hmm. So what I'm thinking here, and of course this is really all groundbreaking stuff too, because this is what drives, we think, this is a possible explanation for speciation. So I'm also thinking that you splice, uh, you know, Sort of like I, I like pina coladas and getting lost in the rain, along with armpit smell and diet, and, and maybe you could get the most accurate match with a mate possible. Well, you know, apparently that is a, a new trend that some uh, some folks are exploiting. Uh, it's, it's a smell based speed dating system. Really? Uh, sometimes they even mark it as a pheromone based sp- speed dating system. But again, that that's a complicated issue. Do you like to- cuddle up to someone's armpit or? Oh no! I, uh, if I remember correctly, it's based in you know smell samples. Like you bring in an old shirt. Yeah. And they're kind of put in a pile, and you kind of root around in the pile and decide which smells uh, appeal to you more. And then that's used as like the the, the first level of elimination in uh, in choosing potential mates. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like if it were that easy, then the whole mating and dating process would be pretty like black and white. Yeah. So I f- I just don't think it's we're there. I think that no, this no, is no, one no. of the things that it's, it's colors our perception thing, yeah. of people. But obviously, we hope that we're, we're deeper than smell when it comes to connecting with another person. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, any given smell, there's so much more than just the, there's the sense experience of the smell, but then there's the, the uh, additional information we're bringing to the scenario, the ideas about what the smell is. Yeah. This is what we talked about before. You'll have a smell of a fine cheese and an athlete's uh, uh, you know, sweaty foot, and the smells can easily be confused with each other. But the context, that's what... That's what's key there, because that's what makes the uh, the cheese merely pungent and the uh, the foot uh, grotesquely stinky. You know, um, in Paris a couple of years ago, I took a perfume making afternoon workshop, and mm-hmm. I got to create my own scent. Ooh! And uh, I did, and I decided that it smelled actually like my husband's armpit. Ah. And I called it like husband de armpit or something like that. Yeah. And the person who was leading the workshop was horrified. Um, <laughs> Probably for a couple of different reasons. And one of them definitely had to do with the scent. And, and then everybody passed it around and they got that look on their face like they were smelling an armpit. I thought it was delightful, though. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, it all comes down to uh, to context. It all comes down to the different sense worlds that we each live in as far as smell goes. And possibly other senses as well. But, uh, but we can definitely say so with smell. Indeed. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Uh, a little insight into the world of, uh, of body odor and how it can help us root out who's healthy, who's not, and, and maybe who is, uh, who's meant to be our soulmate. That's right. Your body odor, your destiny, question mark. So I know a lot of people are going to have some, uh, some interesting tidbits to share about this episode. We all have noses. We all use them to varying degrees. So uh, let us know. We would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us a number of ways. Uh, generally speaking, if you have any question at all, go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Uh, that is our homepage. That is where everything begins and ends. 
That's where you'll find our blog posts, our videos, all the podcast episodes, links out to our various social media accounts. Uh, be sure to check out our YouTube page, Mind Stuff Show. Uh, follow that. Become a fan there. That helps uh, to uh, to help support the show, but it also allows you to instant access to these videos as we roll them out. And in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you guys, and we'd love to hear your fragrant, fetid thoughts. And you can send them to blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 